Whether you're an entrepreneur, event planner, political organizer, video producer, cattle farmer, fashion designer, architect, real estate agent, or magazine editor, Airtable can help you create your way. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com slash Founders Project. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, founder of LearnBest, author of the New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, the forthcoming book, Financially Forward, and most recently, founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm committed to investing in founders who are building our future. Each week, I love to sit down with the top entrepreneur to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Today, I have an incredible person, Leandra Medine, founder and CEO of Man Repeller, the fashion media company that has had a huge swift rise since its launch in 2010 when she was just a junior in college, which is mm-hmm. astounding. Um, she's also the author of the book Man Repeller, Seeking Love, Finding Overalls. It's a memoir that I wrote it's- at 22, <laughs> which is so laughable. Um, Truly embarrassing. I'm but my f- next book is going to be a manual, a guidebook to navigating your early 30s because nobody told me it would be like this. <laughs> yes, and Leandra is a complete trailblazer for the new generation of a fashion industry. She's been called one of the most 100 creative people in business by Fast Company and twice named on the Forbes 30 Under 30. I wanted to brag about her for a second, but welcome, Leandra. Thank you so much for having me, Alexa. So we're going to just dive right into this because I think what I obviously like and admire so much about you is just complete honesty. As you think about building a business, you're started in 2010, you're nine years in, you were basically a child when you started it. I was too. I started Learn Best as a child. Um, How old were you when you started? So when I dropped out of business school, I was 24 years old, but little known fact, I founded Learn Best when I was 23, a year before. Okay. I had no responsibility in life. Now I have three kids. <laughs> um, life was easy, but yeah, no, it was I, I was a child myself. Um, but you really started in college, which I give you so much credit for. But in your own words, what is Man Repeller? Where have you guys evolved today since you left your dorm room? Yeah. Well, to be clear, I was living at home with my parents. (laughs) Now I have three roommates. I was not in a dorm room when I launched Man Repeller. I was very much living at home with my parents. That's even better. Where the coffee was brought to my bed by my mother if I didn't go get it. How much do you miss those days? Oh, what a treat. When I launched Man Repeller, it was very clearly and straightforwardly a fashion blog about trends that women love and men hate. And it was more of a cultural commentary slash criticism than it was a personal style blog. But I noticed very early on that every time I would photograph or post slivers of pictures of myself, uh, the engagement under those stories were much, much higher. So it sort of evolved into a personal style blog. And then... About a year later, when Instagram launched, it occurred to me that all of the benefits that Man Repeller was offering to the audience were now going to be very easily accessible through Instagram. And so I sort of took a step back and recognized, like, here I've just graduated from journalism school with a degree in writing. I know what makes a story good, or I feel like I know what makes a story good. And I have enough business savvy to to turn this into a real company. And I'd also saved enough money to start hiring people. So I hired my first employee and started thinking about how Man Repeller, not the personal style blog, but the media company, could grow. And uh, when people ask what it is now, my response is along the lines of a community-first, 
luxury media brand that trades in the art of storytelling as told through personal style. I love it. So today, if you fast forward nine years later, eight and a half years later, did it go as exactly as you planned? I mean, you have changed fashion for so many people. I think what people love so much about you, again, is just the honesty, how authentic you've always been to uh, fashion and to your, your opinions on everything, which I love so much. And they're always so well put. If you rewind, are you exactly where you expected to be? Is it so much bigger than you ever expected? Give us a sense of your original vision in 2010 to today. You know what's interesting is if I think about this objectively, and this is probably a quite controversial thing to say, but if I think about it objectively, I am exactly where I expected to be because everything I said I would do, I have done. You know, in 2010, I said, I'm actually going to grow this into something that's much bigger than me. And that's exactly what I've done. Is it what I wanted? Yes. Is it what I want? (laughs) Maybe not. What's interesting is that... Tell us more about that. Well, so what's interesting is that I I really do believe that if and when you set goals for yourself, you can achieve them. It's as simple as just creating a plan and following through on it. Being disciplined and being diligent and and, uh, very, very straightforward and forthcoming about what you're doing and why you're doing it and all the ways in which nobody can stand in your way. You know what I mean? Yep. I think I'm at an inflection point now, three months into my 30s, feeling like uh, what I set out to build is what I have built, but what I thought I wanted is not what I actually want. So I worked in the happiness lab when I was in college, and the quick punchline of basically lots of lots of learning is that we're really bad at knowing what makes us actually happy. Yeah. Um, often what we set our goals on are not the things that will actually bring us every day. And this is the really scary thing about social media is social media is this sort of like hotbed of the perpetuation of compare culture. And so, you know, you're scrolling through your feed and you see someone looking so thrilled and excited by their lives. And you're like, well, if I want to feel thrilled and excited and fulfilled by my life, I have to do what that person is doing. And then you end up chasing someone else's dreams or goals. Which is wild, right? It's so. What is your thought on uh, what social media is doing to all of us? Just like, I mean, as someone who knows so much more about it than the rest of us, how do you think about it? Uh, it's definitely a blessing or a curse. Without social media, I would not have been able to build this business at the speed with which I have. I would not have been able to be so scrappy for so long. It, it has opened so many doors for me, and I am so grateful for its existence. But it's also a prison, right? Everything has the ability to be a prison or a fortress. And the ways that I see it as a prison in my own life is it definitely cuts my attention span short. And it really does perpetuate this sense of compare culture and this illusion of aspiring towards a life that is not your own, even when you're satisfied in the one you're in. So it's a true blessing and a curse. I think that's a very fair representation. I want to quickly just go back to um, your own life as you were starting this company. As so many people listening are aspiring entrepreneurs, founders, people who want to build all across the country. You went from basically having kind of a side hustle, side gig to being like, I'm going to do this full time. What was that aha moment when you were like, this is something bigger? It wasn't so much a side hustle or a side gig as it was a thing I was doing while I was finishing up school. 
I guess the aha moment came a little bit later because when I launched, I was still a junior at university. And by the time I graduated, I was monetizing in a meaningful enough way that I was able to continue pursuing it full time. And of course, at that time, how I felt was, I'm just going to keep riding this wave until it crashes, build a comfortable enough cushion so that I don't have to feel desperate to pursue another job, and then take my my time to really figure out what it is I want to do and what, what kind of role I want to play both in the world and uh, Sounds like that time is now. In the context of my <laughs> career. Well, yeah. And then probably six months or a year after Instagram launched, I was like, no, 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 this isn't This isn't just my side thing anymore. This is going to be a big media brand. This is going to be a brand that matters to people. This is going to be bigger than me. This has to be a property that outlives me because it is important. I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate that you really were in, in so many ways in the right place at the right time yes. and the right person to go build something. So it was six months after Instagram really launched. Were you walking down the street? Was it a dinner with your husband? I mean, what was it when all of a sudden you were like, this is re- like we are in the right swim lane at the right time to go continue to build this big multimedia platform for fashion? I think I have come in and out of feeling like that many times many over times. the last 10 years. And it's never as unflinching and indelible as this is it, because I'm just not that kind of person. I'm such yep. a chameleon and, and you, you know, quite moody. So, you know, some days I'm like, no, 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 this is like my purpose on earth. There's no other reason I'm here. And then other days I'm like, but I think I just want to stay in bed until next Tuesday, if that's okay with you. <laughs> um <laughs> But I would so honest. I love that. I would say that I've probably known that this is important and valuable since, frankly, since I started. I just I felt so strongly that there was a point of view missing from the conversation, which was that you could have a sense of humor and still take fashion very seriously and really respect the industry and want to be part of it, but not be such an asshole. It's amazing. You literally just stole my next question, which was fashion was called a humor desert um, before and you stepped right into that space to basically take fashion which I think many people love and love looking at and spending so much time thinking about and you made it so enjoyable for people and also you happen to have such incredible wit was it just super clear to you that there was a big gap you've had so many different followers people who have tried to then become um, some element of what you brought to it and in many ways really made the industry so much more fun Yeah, Um, I think so. I think we really changed the conversation in many ways. I was more clear about the fact that Man Repeller was a name that could very easily be construed as snarky and off-putting and anti-establishment. And maybe Man Repeller is anti-establishment in some ways, but I never wanted to set myself up to be fighting against the industry. Like I very much wanted to be part of it. I just wanted to be part of it on my terms. I appreciate that. So I want to go back to something that you said. So Man Repeller is inherently so creative. You are so creative. And at the end of the day, you're also running a real business. Mm-hmm. Um, and people used to, in, in my family used to say to me, hey, Alexa, you know, you're running X, Y, and Z or Learn Best or, you know, can't you be free on that Tuesday night? And I'm like, I don't run the business. The business runs Run me. me. Let me be very clear mm-hmm. about that. So you are now running a real business. It's no longer a business of one. How big is your team at this point? We are just coming up on 20 people. So you're running a real team. Yeah. Uh, and it's a real business. Um, talk a little bit about the struggles of that and how you're personally growing through that. Yeah. 
People management is so tough, and even though I only have two direct reports, I'm still constantly thinking about the well-being of my team, and I still always want to make sure that they're satisfied and happy. It's a lot of pressure. You're like a constant party host, right? Like you want to make sure that everyone's fed, even if you don't actually know them, and that you know they're like at your house and it's on your dime. So you you just want to make sure that they're having the most enjoyable experience. So it's it's definitely a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility. I think one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs is when you've hired people who are far more experienced or have different expectations or have come from you know a company that's bigger than yours and yeah. now they're coming to help you grow yours, and figuring out the right balance of you know, where you're listening and where you're directing and how do you make everybody thrive? And my answer to them was, you've got to be authentic to who you are. You can can only be this sort of CEO that you know to be. Um, And you have to be authentic to your own style. But that also means that companies only scale as quickly as the leader or founder can learn. And I definitely had tons of things I had to learn as the CEO of LearnVest and lots of dark days and lots of growth moments. But in managing people is the hardest and Definitely. it is and it can be really emotional and really exhausting and also really self-defeating when you feel like you're not doing a great job of it and but also so rewarding if when you it get does it right. feel good yep. yeah yeah when you get it right or when, or when you really click and connect with someone that you work with and when you're when you're really proud of the work of your team yep so it sounds like you're in the middle of that journey now yes. with 20 people. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm a late bloomer because it's been almost 10 years and I'm st- this is still no, the struggle. That's not, no, it's not a late bloomer. You can ask anybody. They're the biggest asset and also, you know, it's the biggest expense to your company. Um, and so, again, you're not alone. I think people management is, is really something that's super powerful. Um, so we'll ask you a question. What have you learned? What have you learned that works really well? In the context Around of people. people. Yep. What's your people playbook to date? Just trying to meet them where they are. I think that is the number one thing is their perspective and point of view is always coming from a place that has their best interest in mind as it should. And trying to recognize where they're coming from, casting aside where you're coming from and what you feel, not ignoring it, but just like suspending it for a moment has been really, really helpful. Because oftentimes what they want is just to feel like they're being heard or seen, just like anyone else does, just the way a founder does. And so really, really starting to nail that and become a little bit more emotionally detached from my own experience has been incredibly helpful. Um, I'm just now in the process of learning that I can't suspend or deprioritize the needs of the company either. Um, yeah, correct. Amen, yeah. right? Um, so one of the things that I like to ask people is, what's your, what as you interview people, what's mm-hmm. the hiring question that you have found is kind of your, your hiring question that really helps you better understand yeah. something about whether or not the person's going to be a great fit for Man Repeller? What's yours? I have a bunch, but I'll give you a quick example. Do you have like a blanket one that you Um, use on everyone, no matter the department? I ask people, if you're getting out of bed and you're thrilled about something at work, describe to me what's going on. Because actually what people will tell you is exactly what makes them happy at work. And if that's an environment I can provide somebody, then I'm like, this is going to be a great fit. If it's an environment I can't provide somebody, or if it's something that isn't going to be a great match to our culture, that tells you something too. But just give me a sense of a question where you feel like you can actually see somebody or or any question, I mean, um, that you found is a good one for you. 
I'm always really curious about uh, an employee's ability to problem solve and how they respond to a problem. So depending on the department that they're being hired into, I often present a circumstance not unlike something that's going on currently and ask how they would respond in that situation. And that's been a really interesting way to get a sense of how they think about problems, whether or not their mentality is fight or flight. Um, and because Man Repeller is such an amorphous brand, I ask everyone, 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 why Man Repeller? And I know that that is a question that probably everyone asks, but the answers make a really big difference. They're kind of the difference between someone who can get hired and someone who doesn't quite understand the brand. I like the how, how do you handle problems one, because I do think it shows you how people are under stress, mm-hmm. um, which is a really important question. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, just going back, you obviously work in fashion during a major influencer era. You guys have grown to over 2 million Instagram followers. And you have said that your real-time social updates help you make sure that you're constantly front row wherever anything's going. How do you optimize each of these unique channels, and how do you think about adapting in a world where technology is evolving all the time? So knowing that like being an influencer is so vital, and knowing that technology is evolving, and mm-hmm. there will be the next platform at some point, just how do you think about always trying to stay ahead in fashion? There, it's sort of a balancing act, right? Because social media is by nature so reactive, and therefore an algorithmic. And, yeah. and therefore, what you are distributed or displayed is sort of this amalgam of sameness. You know, everyone kind of looks the same and says the same thing, and there are these patterns that work. But the way that you develop your influence is by actually being authoritative and sharing a perspective that is unlike what else is out there. You know, surprise and delight is so important for the health of Man Repeller. And even for my own personal partnerships and agenda. So for me, it's really about recognizing that even though we are community first and we exist to support and foster a judgment-free, thoughtful conversation among these people, we are also the shepherds and therefore need to make the calls. You know, like, like we're putting the boundaries up for them and those boundaries are very much in our control. And that's an important responsibility. Talk to me a little bit about, you said the algorithms are real. Give me a sense of, like, have you, what have you learned about a platform like Instagram? How have you learned to stay ahead of the fact that algorithms can change? Well, I mean, we've always immunized ourselves to the ploy of changing your strategy according to Facebook. You know, we never invested heavy in video uh, we never invested heavy in SEO. We always like made sure to go really deep on quality content. Yep. You know, like a a big saying of mine at Man Repeller is traffic is important not because we want traffic, but because it is a product of good content. Yep. You know, and that's always been one of the brand pillars. And that's why fifteen percent of our traffic still hits the home page, which is a wild estimate relative to other uh, media properties. And I'm really from the school of better, not bigger. So we're seeing 2 million unique views a month, which is not a lot relative to a lot of the other media giants who are out there. But 
that's like a really engaged two million. Like they are here, they're showing up and they care and we care about them. So I think we've done a very good job immunizing ourselves from the shifting algorithms in a way that has not costed us an arm and a leg because we also haven't had that luxury. Man Repeller is self-funded. It has been since the beginning. And we're testing where we can and trying to be really smart about what we do with that data. And with that, we'll be right back after this. During an alpine excursion in 1941, Swiss engineer George Demostral's dog got covered in burrs from a burdock plant. Demostral decided to study the burrs under a microscope, and the thousands of tiny hooks on the surface of the burrs inspired him to develop Velcro. This creative breakthrough is brought to you by Airtable. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com slash Founders Project. So talk me through a little bit about um, the things that you're getting excited about. So as you think about the next five years out, 10 years out, as your industry evolves, mm-hmm. what are the things that you personally just find yourself gaining energy from, the things that you get really pumped about? I'm really excited about the events business that is growing at Man Repeller. It's sort of been a product of the way that our integrated partnerships have gone because We've always sort of sold ourselves as an agency to a degree. Like the bulk of our revenue comes from native advertising, so that's partner content. And uh, many of our partners started to ask us to bring events into the fold. And we started doing that. Actually, before we started doing that, we launched a monthly community event series, and we were hosting 20 to 30 of our most active and engaged commenters at the office, and we would bring some of the installments on manrepeller.com to life. So at the time, we were publishing pretty routine roundtables. We would you know, send a suggested reading out before and then have a conversation in person around it. Those sorts of things have been so fun, and it's been so interesting to meet people from the community. So our events business is definitely growing, and it's been a delight to meet these people and be part of these events. And particularly in a city like New York, when you're a 20 or 30-something who's not from here, making friends is so awkward as an adult. And so for Man Repeller to be providing a circumstance or basis for these friendships to come to life in a setting where they're supposed to be coming to life. So you're not just by your lonesome at a bar, like trying to pick up a lady friend, you know? Yeah. It's been really rewarding. Like we've seen these incredible friendships born out of some of our bigger ticket events. Last April, we took over a hotel in Flatiron called The Freehand. We had three floors in the hotel. 300 community members came. And strangers were meeting in the comments and setting up rooms at hotel accordingly. And then we had a reunion event over the summer and uh, like five different instances of, of like couples of girls came over to me and they were like, we met at a hotel and now we're roommates in Brooklyn. And it's just the most wild and incredible. I'm so proud that we're able to be that facilitator. So that's really exciting. And we're talking more and more about chat functionality and text message. And that's so fun. Um, one thing that I always tell founders is to get off the internet and go meet your customers, go oh, meet yeah. your community. And when you can see them at LearnBest, we used to do massive events, LearnBest Live. And we did uh, a handful every year. They'd range from like 300 to like 2,000 people. And when you could see the audience, and for us, ours was about financial planning for America, which, by the way, is you know, very, it's far less sexy than Man Repeller, I which is so fun. Sexy. And uh, I'm, I'm always was like, budgets can be sexy, guys. Um, <laughs> but the the punchline there was when you actually can see your customers. It you just as a founder, you learn you learn things you can't even know to learn. Yeah. Until you see that. Totally. 
Where else do you feel like fashion's going? You know, when you think about just the trends in general that you think are worth paying attention to of any kind, mm-hmm. fashion trends or content trends around yeah. fashion or technology trends, what are the ones that you are paying close attention to? You know, my hunch is that there's a real dearth in the industry currently because of the demise of the print magazine. There was a prescriptive nature to a property from Condé Nast or Hearst that was actually quite satisfying, and that is being missed. There is so much abundant choice out there, and we are knee-deep in this era of personal style. And I think for many people who just want to be told like what to wear and how to look and what's cool, that's really missing. And so there's this prescriptive nature that I'm really eager and interested to try and tap into again, which was very true of the way that magazines operated and is quite possibly the reason that so many of them have not been able to succeed. But I don't think it's the prescription that made it impossible. I think it's the um, the lack of compassion and understanding that kindness is what's cool and bringing someone into the conversation instead of presenting a conversation to them isn't quite the medium that works anymore. We're at a really interesting inflection point. I mean, just across the board with the way that things are moving with watchdog culture born out of Instagram and fashion publications no longer investing in these incredible, fantastical shoots. Like, that's that stuff is missing. There, there's an element of of style of escapism that I personally miss, and I would like to be part of bringing back. It's so interesting because you're right, which is, you know, the ten page Vogue spread that is art in every way that you can imagine. Yeah, and maybe you those can't... pages don't have to be chock full of fifteen thousand dollar crocodile bags. Yep. But they can still feel as fantastical and escapist Escapist. as they did. You said the right word. It's escapism. That you're not going to easily get from a half millisecond of a brain space as you scroll through and flip up through. Well, and the other thing about the Instagram algorithm is that the element of discovery is no more, you know? It's it's like same on same. If you like something, it picks up on that and serves you more of stuff that looks like what you like, and therefore you never get to discover. There's no learning yourself newly anymore. That's so interesting. And that's disappointing. And that is disappointing. That's so true. So if you had to fast forward, what part of what you're seeing trend-wise do you hope stops? So I have a clear sense of like you wish there was more of this escapism. You wish that we could continue to truly use technology to learn, especially as it partakes fashion. What are the things that you were like, I hope in 2022 there was no longer X? A necessity to be publishing like 55 stories a day. It's just too much. This emphasis on more is better. It's exhausting and it's unfair and it incriminates the people who are being tasked with the production of that content. And I want no part in it. And for the most part, we haven't played a significant role in it. Man Repeller publishes between four and six stories a day. And at our peak, we were doing maybe eight. And that felt like too much. So I'm not saying let's more is just more. Yeah, and I'm not saying yeah. let's like turn it down completely and only publish lo- publish long form essays because there is very much a place for like tabloid style content. And my whole thing is 
man repeller is supposed to be entertaining. Like, we're all just trying to survive. And if we can be part of the coping mechanism that you discover, then by all means, congratulations to you for finding a coping mechanism and congratulations to us for being able to do that for you. You know, like, I don't believe in the triviality associated with, you know, being an aesthete and enjoying some junk food for thought, you know? I would love your take on if you are a fashion house today, if you are running Dior or Chanel, or what do you think those brands need to continue to do as they think about evolving with where these technology trends and where everything is going? Just, you know, if you were on the other side, right, mm-hmm. and you were running the product brand, um, how do you think about that? I actually think Chanel is doing a fantastic I, job. I, mean, I agree. <laughs> yeah, with well, I mean, they're doing a great job with their media outreach and the people they turn into friends of their brands and the way that they really um, embrace them. And that is probably a biased opinion because I'm a friend of the brand, yep. and I've really appreciated like how much thought and care goes into every partnership and event that they produce. I'm also really a fan of Dior, obviously, but if I were, if I were, yeah, a, remove the brand. Yes. So if, if you I could were, remove the brand and I just give us a sense. If I were at the helm of a big luxury fashion brand, I wouldn't take the position of, oh my God, let's just get the influencers. Like, how many followers does this person have? We got to slap some clothing on them. I, I don't, I don't think that works. The consumer is really, really smart and. You know, a brand exists for a very particular reason. And the minute that you forget what your mission is and why you built the company that you're standing on top of, you you, you lose your soul. And that soul is such a different soul for every company. And, and, you know, maybe this goes back to my comparison thing, but I'm seeing a lot of competition among some of the houses and this sort of lack of thoughtfulness that goes into the way that they think about partnerships with brand ambassadors and so forth. And maybe that's the context that I'm thinking about it because I fall into the category of brand ambassador. I'm also very much not a clothing designer and don't know that I would be in the position where I, I was at the helm of one of these <laughs> houses. Fair. Yeah. Fair, fair point. Um, it's so nice to get somebody's perspective when you really are sitting in an really advantaged place as you think about the future of fashion. And I think that taking the time to step back and say, where are all these different trends going and what needs to continue and what should stop is, is so helpful, especially as you think about building man repeller and you have such a creative eye to those mm-hmm. things. And I think it's so nice. So if we shift gears and we go back to you, here you are running a big company. And by the way, 20 employees is a big company for a lot of people. And as you think about you know, what you've had to learn. Walk me through kind of uh, a point or two where you had like your best day at Man Repeller, where it was just, it was like one of those moments that fueled a year. What was it? Yeah. I have a lot of best days at Man Repeller. For as many worst days, there are, I think, double as many best, which is great. And the ingredients of a really good day are my ability to uh, create, frankly, The recipe for a very good day for me is a productive stream of meetings with managers who are owning their departments and doing it in a way that I would not have been able to do myself, you know, truly making me feel like, how did I get so lucky? How did you end up here? I could never think the way you do, but I'm so glad that you are lending that brain power to this company. 
so that's on the one hand. And then the other thing is my ability to still create because I started this thing as a writer. I started not because I was like, I want to run a business. I started because I was like, I have a perspective and an opinion that I want to share. Mm-hmm. And this is what it is. So when I'm able to write, when I'm able to style any form of creative expression that I'm able to inject into the day. You love. Yeah. You love. I, that is what that feeds is my soul. That it is really jam. is. That's your jam. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see it when you talk about it, but that is totally your jam. So you are now running a growing company Mm -hmm. in an evolving world Mm -hmm. that is evolving daily. Mm -hmm. And you have two little baby 13-month-old twin girls. I do. What is your biggest productivity hack? What are the things that you find are like the – if I had to be like, what's your best trick, what would it be? You know what's really funny is after I went back to work post-maternity leave, my perspective was like, this is amazing because – I'm with my kids in the morning and then I go to work and I'm ready to be at work. So work gets the best of me. And then at like five o'clock, I'm kind of tired. And so I'm ready for something different. So I go home and I'm with my kids and for two hours, my kids get the best of me. And then sometimes I'm able to go out for dinner and see a friend, but mostly I'm not. So like to the extent that my work-life balance exists, work is great and baby life is great. I, I just like... I haven't had a haircut since they were born and <laughs> like wouldn't mind shaving my legs, but I got to get in the shower to do that. Alone. I put it in my schedule now. You know what my biggest productivity hack is? And I started doing this in January and it really has changed my life. I schedule out my days in my Google calendar like lit- as though it were a to-do list. Like I put everything in there like from, uh, you know, 9, 9.15, fresh direct order, 9.15 to 10.30, write this. Yep. My whole day scheduled it's out. It's now scheduled out. Yeah. Yeah. I find that it is amazing. You, like I live and die by yes. uh, my ability to mm-hmm. also, I mean, I, I mean, it's insane, but I plan. It's, I'm a planner to yep. my bones. I mean, I became a financial planner. So yeah. like I really, I'm I think a I, I, I didn't think I was a planner. I, I thought that I always wanted to be like really spontaneous, but I actually thrive. I love planning. Within guardrails. Oh God. You know? I love, no, I mean, it's really, oh my it's God. Really, what is one thing that you want to get better at personally and professionally? So many things. Uh, personally, I would like to get better at crediting myself, congratulating myself. I definitely struggle in the department of self-esteem and worth, and I'm like I'm super aware of that. Like my negative self-talk and all of that. You know, I just I That's so surprising cuz I feel like that's you being unfair to yourself. <laughs> well, I I hope we can help you get rid of that. It is it's it's always um People always say when they start to know me more intimately, they were like, I would have never guessed that this side of you existed. But I'm definitely really hard on myself in the way of not believing that I deserve or am worth, not even realizing that I don't believe it. And then professionally, um, resilience is is really the thing that I, I, I know I'm resilient. There is no data or proof of anything otherwise, but... Again, internally. I guess it's it's all the same. You don't change who you are at home and at work. You don't. Um, one of the things that it's an unfortunate quote that is now burned into my brain forever as a founder is if you ever knew what it takes to build a company, you would never do it. 
Um, and everyone who is a founder always laughs a little bit when they hear it because it is just so damn true. It is. Which is you're like, if you ever knew on that other side of like the veil of ignorance that if you jumped – that it was just like you were going to hit every brick on the way down. Yeah, every that, single one. And then once you got down, you, you were going to like face plant into the cement. And when you finally got up, when you finally got up, the person who you thought you could trust the most comes over with like a bucket full of salt water and throws it in your face. No, and then there's a boat that actually rows over you. And then it's like, by the way, you're in one of a star. And then you call your mom because you're like, Mom, I'm. I don't think you. You don't even know what just happened to me. And she's like, you haven't called me in two weeks. You think I want to talk to you right now? So essentially being an entrepreneur is what we just discussed. Yeah. But the um, ones who can make it are the ones who don't maintain a victim mentality. And if I'm being really honest, that is I am a little bit of a victim and I need to shed that. So, one In one episode of How I Built This with Barbara Corcoran, I remember her saying that she was very good at not feeling bad for herself. And it really stuck with me. I was like, I have to get better at that. I'm a little too self-aware. Yeah. I once had an employee tell me that someone had asked her, what is it like to work with Alexa? And she responded, well, she gets punched in the face every day and doesn't know it. And it was like such a moment for me because I was like, does that mean I've officially becoming so resilient that I'm a robot? Or <laughs> am I now at the point where I'm like a capable entrepreneur? Um, but it is like getting punched it's in the face every day. It is. Um, it is. It is. And it's learning to take it in stride. And I was talking to another entrepreneur or the other reframe day. it. It's not a punch in the face. It's Correct. just a wake up call. Or That's it's it. actually just a, like hey, a dab of fresh that water. thing that happened yeah. is actually it's an a blessing. Spritz. It's, a, it's just a blessing that yeah. you didn't yes. win that deal That's that you were working thing. on for four months. One good thing that Instagram fed me. Yeah like a year ago was this quote which is you never know what worse luck your bad luck is saving you from and it's so true because you know with decisions I've learned this uh, the hard way because what other way is there to learn is um, there's no such thing as a wrong decision there's only the decision you make and then you make it right and I think that it that feeds into the resilience conversation for sure so uh, we're discussing resilience we're discussing how important it is give us just a sense of like a bad day that you had or just something that happened where you were like where you had to leave the office and take a walk or you were just so tired can you even remember a day like that or yeah, was it like monday of course. At 10? <laughs> well i mean i'll go back I, I i won't use today as the example but i can distinctly recall maybe like two years ago on the very beautiful sunny July day not having slept the night before it was just one of those like wake up at 3 a.m and head spinning cannot go back to sleep until ever so you just you like finally throw in the towel get up at like seven go have a coffee and the coffee tastes disgusting because you're so overtired and then it stimulates you and you're exhausted but like wired I go into the office I don't even know you know all of these like office managerial blunders and it's like so I'm a janitor and a therapist and sleep deprived and I have 500 words to write and I was so looking forward to writing those very few pithy words and I can't even do that because I am so thrown off. What is this day? And I left and I had to stick my head between my legs and I ran into a friend actually on the corner of Prince and Crosby 
And she ended up spending the afternoon with me. And she was like, I was, I remember I was wearing this like tiki skirt and this like colorful metallic Lorex tank top. And she was like, you have to go home and wash your hair and put on denim cutoffs and let your hair air dry and take meetings from there for the rest of the week. I don't want you leaving home. I don't, you know. And I was just like, okay. And I did it. And it, it, it was like, you know, that like Tony Robbins two millimeter rule. It made yep. such a big difference. And yep. I was really able to like get through the rest of the week and like problem solve appropriately yeah. and smartly against all of these like objectively difficult things that were happening, but not impossible. They're not impossible. It's just been they all happen at the same time. Yeah, uh, literally in the course of like three hours. No, but I think for one of the hardest things for entrepreneurship is the fact that from before you do it, you're like, God, I don't want to be a CEO somewhere. That sounds awesome. And then you actually realize that things don't hit your radar unless they are the hardest, worst, most unsolvable problems that somebody couldn't fix before it got to you. Yeah. So by the time it gets to you, it's a really, really big issue. And that the bigger the company gets, the more complex the problems yeah. get. And you're only one human. And so that is where my motto, get up, dress up, show up, came from, which was get up early, dress the part, aka you're not allowed to wear just yoga pants all of my life and you actually need to like get dressed mm-hmm. um, and show up with a great attitude and I did find that if you show up with a hundred and fifty percent attitude you can actually begin to tackle your day and sometimes those days are your day that you mm-hmm. just described where you get punched in the face not once but like six times yeah and your day is allowed to end early so that was my rule always which is I will walk in the door with 150 percent but I may walk out at 3 p.m. Yes. <laughs> yeah that's fair because you're human that's a good point But I will be back here tomorrow morning at 8 with 150%. And it's just there is a very human element. And over time, the resiliency, the coarseness grows. And I always hoped that I didn't become so coarse that I was a reptile. (laughs) But on the flip side, because you still need to be a really good human and you still need to be able to look people in the eyes and say – I get it. I understand how you're feeling. Yeah. But on the flip side, you also have to solve the problems. And so um, also wine helps sometimes. Um, so. I do not find that to be true. For It used to help. But honestly, if I drink more than like a single glass of wine, it will keep me up all night. And, and I will so wake will up. Replay that problem in your head. And I'll just I'll wake up so anxious. I, like I, I think it suspends your anxiety and then it comes back the following day once you are of straight mind with a vengeance yeah my husband at our wedding gave a speech that he basically said everyone thought the first you know six months of learn best just went swimmingly um he's like but i would walk in the door and you know i knew it was a bad day if she had a glass of wine already out and a cookie in the hand so when it was a double fisting day cookie wine that's when you knew it was just like she had been hit two or three times with just tears streaming down my face while still working. So it was like really a vision. I was a vision. You can get behind the cookie. You can just see the vision. But like sometimes an oatmeal raisin cookie is what solves me. With a little chocolate in it. Um, Okay, so we're just going to quickly wrap this up. I want to just say if you were going to go back to the many people who are following everything that you're building and they're going to start their own thing, what advice would you pay it forward for another founder who looks up to you? Another founder is one question. Another woman who follows Man Repeller and is interested in it, the thing I always say, which my former president used to say, and it really stuck with me and I think is fantastic advice, is if you can be happy working for someone else, do that. Get the experience. 
learn whatever it takes, like learn how you work and what you do well and what you don't like doing as as much, but like can muscle through and do. And then use that data to figure out your next move. And if you find in using that data that you actually work well under someone else's guidance and leadership, keep doing that. You can have an incredibly successful life and be a girl boss without being a boss who is a woman. You know what I mean? Yep. And I feel like that is really, really true. If I'm talking to another founder, this is advice that I discovered and I wish that I had learned about myself much earlier on. There is a there's a difference between being a very good leader and a very good boss, and both are incredibly necessary and important. Sometimes they're the same person, but sometimes they're not. So figure out what you are and troubleshoot against what you're not. That's a really – I've never heard that. That's, there's a difference between being a leader and a boss. That's a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last just quick fire round here. What's one startup or company that we should know about that is on your radar? Oh, there are actually so many because I've been doing a little bit of um, – angel investing. And a couple of the ones that I'm really excited about are Part and Parcel, founded by uh, Lauren Jonas, and then uh, YZ, which is launching in June. That's founded by Jilly Levin and and Justin Hauser. He is such a visionary thinker, and I am so excited about what they're doing. Every time I sit down with him, I feel like I leave with fire under my ass. You know what I mean? In such a good way. So those are two companies I'm really excited about. Part and Parcel is going to um, speak to the inclusive size market. And the founder, again, is like a, a really smart and incredible woman. And I just I, I really believe in the opportunity in that space. And then one other brand that I'm really excited about is called Briogeo. It's a hair care brand by a woman called Nancy Twine. And... She does clean hair care, essentially, and is also about to do some interesting disruption in the pharmacy arena. I love it. Okay, guys, we are so out of time. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank if you, you want to learn me. more about Manorpeller, you know where to find it. Mm-hmm. And on all social media platforms. We might be dropping the man. Oh, I love. Do you? I, I mean, yeah. I, like I just love cool. the. I love how you're evolving. I we'll just. See, yeah. Um, thank you so much for such a genuine conversation. We're so grateful to have you on Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Montobal. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inc. the Founders Project with Alexa Montobal wherever your podcasts are offered. My book, Financially Forward, comes out May 14th. You can find it wherever books are sold, and it will help you understand everything about the future of your wallet and all the best ways to save, spend, and keep your wallet secure.